everyone. You're tuned in for another episode of Getting to the Root of It with Venus Roots, aka myself, your host. And as always, I'm very excited about today's guest, fellow Gemini sis. And I really think this episode is, quote, red man and method man. This is for all my smokers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and everyone, really. But... Today's guest is a multidisciplinary cannabis entrepreneur, a researcher, a writer, and uh, an artist in so many ways. Uh, welcome to the show, Manley. Thank you for having me. I can't believe you called me an artist. That might be my first time, and I'm appreciative of, of that reflection. <laughs> of course. Well, Manley, I was just sharing with you, last time that I saw you, we were in... Mexico City, mm-hmm. having lunch, and it was like the first time you were actually getting to hang out in person. And it's funny because I never, ever, ever uh, take edibles. I just don't. Uh-huh. It's, it's one of those hard lines for me, and I try to respect my boundaries. And I probably hadn't taken one in forever. And you know, I was in Mexico City with all my girls, and one of them had brought gummies and I was like, you know what, fuck it, why not? And I took it right before you and I and all of us met up for lunch. And I was just reflecting on that, like, what are the odds that I'm gonna talk to Ben Lay today, who's like my cannabis guru. And last time I saw them was while I was deep in in a realm I did not want to be in. <laughs> you seemed lovely and spirited, but I know maybe it was like, I think they were just starting to hit. Um, oh, I did not feel like that. I did not feel like that. It was not a fun time. I'm and sorry to hear that. Yeah, but you know, it's okay. We'll get into all of those details today. Um, so Menle, I think you have a fascinating story. I've, <laughs> I, I mean, to me, you are obviously such an artist. And I think the way, of course, Gemini's and the way that you communicate all of the observations and the noticings around the work that, you, that you've that you learned and accumulated over such a long time mm-hmm. is so valuable. And I think especially Thank with something you. around weed, weed seems so candid and informal and like everyone smokes, but you bring such a light of, of like analysis that I really appreciate, so. Thank you. Yeah, so tell me a little bit about how did you get into growing, harvesting, research of weed, all of that, all the things. Yeah, um, it's kind of a trip. It's very random. And <laughs> I think my path sort of follows um, a very interesting trajectory of like both survival and creativity. Um, I graduated from journalism school in 2005, the spring of 2005, and decided to move to Humboldt that fall. And at the time, which is kind of ironic, like I was working at this local, like syndicated talk radio station. And there was just little movement in terms of growth. You know, I was like this this 21 year old black chick fresh out of college in the middle of fucking hippie slash hemp. I mean, not hippie slash hemp, but that too. But like, it was a very kind of, it was a contrasting community of, of deep hippies, people living off the grid, and then also this this redneck culture. Um, And I don't say it in a derogatory way. But anyway, so when I was living there, it was sort of, it was a strange place to be in. I was was trying to take like this craft that I had just learned and graduated from and take it forward. But again, there was no space to grow. But 
strangely and like obviously people were doing nothing but growing in Humboldt. Like that was the promised land of of growing legally more or less like um, cannabis in the US. And so after about a year, I decided to, to quit and to start um, dabbling into that industry. And it, it starts off usually, I think for a lot of people back then, about 15 years ago, where you're like, you're trimming, you're kind of like an apprentice, you're just helping people. And a lot of the folks who I was working with were just friends of mine, you know, other women in our early twenties, just trying to like make some money and, and be a part of this underground industry in a way that, that fed us and like helped us thrive and ball whatever you know whatever it is that people do um with weed money um but it was a lot of hard work and i think you and i talked about this earlier like touched on it a little bit this idea of it being such an undervalued um laborous i don't know if i'm saying it right but like such an undervalued um type of work right where I didn't, I didn't realize that I would be like hauling, you know, multiple gallons of bags of, of soil after a harvest to take to like, you know, the dump to make sure that it got repurposed for something else. Like that was just every day. Um, and I think I'm going a little bit off topic, but doing that and apprenticing and and learning the craft and being sponsored by women who had money, who had the funds, who wanted to see me um, do well, they supported me and thus created this this cultivator, um, which is who I was initially starting out. And after a while living in Humble, it was just there weren't enough people of color to really like feed me. And I decided to move to the Bay Area. It wasn't very far, five hours south, you know, but drastically different you know you have oakland you have san francisco very very dynamic communities of people of color um and i was growing there but soon after i think because of just so much um just there was so much exposure at that time illegally when it came to indoor growing and um one of my neighbors you know, decided to be that that person and that guy who threatened to call the cop on me. And that was sort of when my career in cultivation was put to a halt. Um, closed up shop, left everything behind, moved out of my house, like lots of investment was sort of flushed down the toilet. And from there, I decided to just like start writing a little bit more. When you fast forward a couple years later, as the, I think, the way people viewed cannabis, especially in California and all over the world, um, it was becoming something that we were starting to take more seriously, or at least like we were starting to see more like thoughty photos of like people smoking bongs or whatever the fuck that that weren't getting flagged, you know, like there were there was a pop up and a crop up, I guess more or less. And so some women again in the industry hit me up to Jordan to sort of help them write copy and like navigate, you know, communicating in that world that made um, their product or their brand just look more professional and up to date. And so in a very long winded <laughs> description, that's kind of, uh, the trajectory for me. Yeah. Um, not long winded. <laughs> I'm also like, mm, you know, like so curious always because the Gemini has to come out and I feel like my Gemini self is activated when I'm around other Gemini. Yes. I'm like on 1000. I'm like, what? <laughs> I'm like, okay, yes. Um, Ask me. <laughs> so you are now in Mexico City. Mm -hmm. um, 
in some ways very close to California and in other ways very, very far. Right. How long have you been in Mexico now? I've been here for about five years. Wow. Yeah, it's it's interesting. But I still feel very new, even though five years for most people is, is, a, is a little chunk, you know? Um, but yeah. Yeah, no, that is a little chunk. And I'm curious for you, because you're not in the States right now, mm -hmm. I'm sure you've observed how the sort of understanding around criminalizing cannabis, weed, marijuana, however mm -hmm. we want to call it, has shifted and at the same time, in some ways, stayed very much so the same. Right. Uh, I mean, it's hard to hear the facts, but according to some reports i think the market is expected to be like a 73.6 billion dollar industry in the next seven years which is nothing right and that's in the us alone i i think it's hard to to really put um your finger down on what it will look like here in mexico because i think there's so much legislation that needs to happen so many bills that need to pass when it comes to commerce and and how you even like roll out selling it um, but, you know, within this expected 73.6 billion industry, like the, the roles of black people, of black folks, of people like myself is less than 5%. I mean, there are less than 5% of us in that. And within that 5%, approximately 1% are women identifying people, like black women, right? And if you really let that sink in, less than 1%, it's like, I'm a fucking unicorn. Like we are unicorns, but that's not, I guess it's important to say, though, that even less than that are people within Native populations, right? Knowing that cannabis is grown and processed and sold on their land that was stolen. And that's like a whole other aspect that I think oftentimes, even myself, I don't I don't always think about and I don't always give it the way it should have. Um, but, you know, I just spoke with this agency who was putting together like this this CBD industry report or whatever the fuck. And they asked me about racial and gender disparities in the industry. And if I'm honest, I just have to say that it gets, and you know, I think you know how this is. It just gets so exhaustive and so disheartening to have to teach and explain the obvious problems within the industry, because especially within the prison complex system, you know, it's, this is something that we see within capitalism and within our global business structures and the way that those structures are based are built on obviously foundations of white supremacy. And so it's like, we all kind of understand and know um, why this is occurring and, and unfortunately like why it's existing within the cannabis space. Um, and although I don't think necessarily think it's like, people who are experiencing this have to be the ones to teach and explain, you know, it's, I, I feel like I have no choice but to be like outspoken and political while also trying to just navigate and understand like these issues. Um, and I think the contradiction often lies where I just want to be somebody who like sells weed legally, <laughs> who is an entrepreneur, you know, just trying to thrive and trying to advocate. And, it, and I feel like oftentimes like you can't, ex you can't just exist in that space and it, it, we, you just can't have that privilege to do so. Um, and I think 
in the industry, the cannabis industry, quote unquote, you do have to vocalize that and um, and demand the release of folks who who have nonviolent cannabis convictions, who have nonviolent convictions in general, right? While these white bros are profiting and holding executive roles within this space, and these roles that are similar to the roles of Black and Latinx men and women in prison, mothers, you know, people of color who are sitting sitting in prison cells during COVID as we speak, having these previously, these previous executive roles. Um, yeah, I, I think I'm, again, I think I'm drifting, but, you know, there are some really important organizations that I do want to amplify who are like organizing and educating. Um, there's Cage Free Cannabis, there's The Last Prisoner Project, um, 420 Portraits, Canaclusive, um, Equity First Alliance, Minority Cannabis Business Association. And in that same breath, despite all the hard work they're doing, it's still, it just still isn't enough. And I don't really know how much, I, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry to feel so disheartened. I'm just like, damn, I don't know. No, I mean, it, I mean you know, we know. <laughs> uh, I mean, uh, on one end, it's like, and I love that you started that with like, people don't want the facts because that's the truth. People mm -hmm. don't want to hear it, you know? Mm -hmm. um, especially, you know, we were talking a little earlier before um, how some of my best friends are now in places like Denver, Colorado, which you really associate with things like white people, mountains, and weed. Yep. <laughs> and now how it's not the easiest pill to swallow, regardless mm -hmm. of how beautiful the mountains may be. And yes, how nice it feels to like not be super paranoid and just like pull up to a dispensary, show your ID and leave with all types of goodies. Mm. Um, it, it feels hard, right? It just doesn't, I feel like the more I understand the system and the more I understand how it's implicated in my own family and people I love and also people I don't know but are part of my community, it's hard to just like go to the dispensary and be like, ah, oh, thank God, you know, we're in a white liberal place and not, you know, Florida. Right. But but somehow, I mean, you know, the, the carceral state and the consequences and the capitalist state prevail in, in their own ways, you know, I've, yeah. I've of course read like things of, you know, the the figures you shared are so ridiculous, <laughs> like expected, but nonetheless ridiculous. Yeah. And it's also so tied to the type of people who even get business loans to start these type of, you know, to, to mm -hmm. lead on their entrepreneurial goals in the first place. You mm -hmm. know? Like, um, you know, and I feel like we're in an era where like people really like to talk about entrepreneurship and everyone wants to be an entrepreneur. Right. And they don't want to contextualize that within a political context at all. Right. It's just like, if you work hard and you grind hard and like you got good ideas, then you're good. And I think for, you know, for you and many people, it's very clear that it's, it's not just about how hard you grind, how hard no. you hustle and how smart or brilliant your ideas might be. And I think it's like hard to take, you know, entrepreneurship, as just like, hmm, like a pathway to like liberation or like a pathway to like more financial freedom or more, you know, yeah. more agency. Cause it just doesn't play out like that in the same way. Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, like the, the fact that you had to literally like halt your operation because a neighbor was like, I'm gonna fuck your shit up is 
so crazy. Yeah. It's it, so crazy. It was painful, definitely. Um, and it, it took a while because I think whenever you think about those hardships, it's always like, okay, I had to have had to have gone to prison and to like be a statistic in order for me to feel like I have the right to be upset about what happened. You know, for a long time, I was just like, well, at least that didn't happen to me. You know, like at least I, I got away. Um, well, through the statutes of limitations, I think like protected me, but at least I was able to get away at that time. Um, but I don't know where I'm going with this, but like, yeah, he was a neighbor. Like this was an older white man. And um, I used to like pull his weeds. His wife was ill and he was taking care of her. I would pull his weeds and like, I would garden like in between our properties and like make it look beautiful. I thought we had like a, we weren't tight cause I kept to myself because I was growing weed, but I was polite, you know? And I wanted to like be a good neighbor, um, super clean, just like a good kid. But I think he couldn't grapple with the fact that this like 25 year old black girl is like living in a home a big ass house doing what he doesn't know he, he can't really like uh, he can't understand like what that success looks like um and if i'm honest i don't think i could either you know here i am 15 years later and like i'm not i'll be the first one to say like i'm not bawling you know and it has everything to do with the way that this industry is set up and the way like you're saying you know entrepreneurship isn't within the cannabis space just that it's a lot of various different things. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> the reality. <laughs> Sorry, it's all depressing. <laughs> no, it's, but it's, you know, it's the whole point. It's, mm -hmm. I think people take it for granted. And I, and I, and I actually, I don't think I know affirmatively that people take it for granted and mm -hmm. that people don't consider not just the obstacles, but like there's one thing that there's like obstacles and then there's real, there's like, such thing as being a target like those are right. things and there's hardship and then there's like you you know you end up in the system um it's hard it's hard i mean i was telling you like um now with the bill work that we're doing down here like they've the the local uh, state attorney's office and the local corrections department and i don't like calling them that because they ain't correcting shit. right you know, they make us go through all types of all types of little situations to get basic information from people we're hoping to get out. And as I was doing like the manual search in the, in the database, um, reading through folks charges um, and how high their bonds were uh, with things around marijuana and illicit drugs is, it's just heartbreaking. Cause it's, uh, you know, it's like, it's like everything, right? Like the seeing the two sides of the spectrum play out and, in broad light, um, right. the white bro in Colorado versus the poor folks that are just trying to make make ends meet and yep. just make money. Period. Like everyone else. Yep. Like everybody else. Mm -hmm. Now that you're in Mexico, and I know that you do all types of different works of sort of examining like what the African diaspora looks like across so many regions hmm. and now you're in Mexico, which I think when people hear Mexico, they don't think, like they're not gonna associate it with blackness. No. Uh, with, which on one end, it's like we recognize that like the indigenous um, tradition and the indigenous presence Absolutely. is so anchoring and so centering mm -hmm. 
for the country, for the region, of course. Mm -hmm. But in that, of course, it's like, there's also black folks everywhere. And I'm curious, like, what has kind of, first of all, like what prompted you into questioning, like, where's the diaspora? And what is my role in sort of examining my, my broad, expansive community now that I'm in Mexico? Yeah, that's, that's a huge one. You know, my, my mother's family is from Ghana um, by way of Liberia. And my father's family is from, has Liberian roots, also Cote d'Ivoire. Um, so I'm very West African, but one of the first in my lineage, my modern lineage, I guess, to be born in the U.S., and so that intersection and conversation has of diaspora has sort of been constant, no matter how quiet or intimate, you know, it's been ongoing. And there is this fascinating intersection between cannabis, um, I guess food also, but just the the Mexico's African diaspora, you know, I think all of these topics have have been things that I've been trying to research either indirectly or directly for the past couple years. And I think in a very conceptual way, my research has helped me endure and understand and appreciate my life here in Mexico as an African woman. You know, anti-Blackness is a plague that affects the US, Mexico, Africa, Asia, the entire globe, right? You know this, and it's contracted from this sickness that is white supremacy again, and and it, Latin America is not immune to it. Um, and so my research within the history of Mexico, like, within Mexico's relationship between, like you said, like African, indigenous and European roots, because those are the three groups of, of, of Mexican-ness. <laughs> you know, it's this conceptual, like to be Mexican is to be indigenous, it's to be African and it's to be European. And that's similar to the US, right? Um, and so that research has kind of like given me this, this very strong, integral, like, way of staying connected to um, a sense of who I am and helping me decolonize my thoughts, but while also like tempering my rage because you can't help but be upset by like, you know, walking on the street and dealing with shit or seeing other people deal with things, you know? Um, and so where am I going with this? I keep saying that, but I just think that um, that that curiosity, that, that Gemini curiosity kind of sparks like, a way of enduring that and a way of understanding. And I think when you understand things, um, as we all know, it helps It helps ease some pain and it helps like, it helps you get a little bit closer to like healing trauma um, because it, it gives you a sense of pride and purpose, you know? Um, and I and think it, it that's been huge. Of it reminds you of hmm. mm. Right. You're like, in this knowing and in these identities, it can be so alienating and yeah. to be remembered that this is this is long, not just for the long haul, but we're part of something really, you know, ancestral and yes. it's so important. Like I really hear you with that. Like sometimes I need to constantly remind myself and like read old excerpts and read old clippings and things mm -hmm. where like we've been here before and we have found ways to not just push through but like build something right yeah right i mean what what trips me out is there was a point of time in i want to say the 1700s you know a couple a couple hundred years after the first african came to mexico was brought to mexico um unwillingly 
that you would walk into the Zocalo of Mexico, you would walk along, walk along in the Zocalo of Mexico City, and you would see more African people than you would see European people. And that was just the norm. And yeah. that is fascinating. It blows my mind and it shouldn't, right? Like you said, like we've been out here as the original peoples, of course you would go everywhere, you know, whether, whether it was before, um, you know, the transatlantic slave trade and just actually being able to explore and navigate like a world that you know. Um, and so again, those those reminders and like, yeah, going back to different texts and, how, and knowing like you help revolutionize certain parts of, of Latin America um, is really powerful and validating and makes you feel like you belong, you know? Because yeah. I've heard a lot of people be like, oh, you had so many issues here, like, why don't you just move? Um, and it was just kind of, yeah, I'm like, what? And I didn't, you know, strangely enough, I didn't have, I didn't really think about a way to to, to respond to that um, because I was just so shocked by that sentiment. Um, and I think we often hear that a lot. Um, yeah, and I, I, and you know, there's no, I always say, I remember, you know, when Trump got elected, it was such a, such like a, a shake for so many people. Oh yeah. And you know, you heard all types of folks, you know, I'm moving, I'm doing this. And mm -hmm. you know, to your point of anti-blackness being a global symptom of the plague that is white supremacy and colonialism mm -hmm. and imperialism, mm -hmm. like they, they, they really brought to all of us. It's, you can't, you can run, but you can't hide, baby. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's, that's also part of the heartbreak. I mean, and, and I say this with privilege, I was in Southeast Asia and I was like, wait, I'm having a great time. And also people are on, on some clear anti-black shit, period. Yes. <laughs> and that's when you go to Latin America, you feel it. When you're here in America, you feel it. When you're in Europe, you feel it. You know, I remember being in Italy once and uh, this was like maybe like 2015, maybe. Yeah. So um, there was a conversation with Trump, but he hadn't gotten elected yet. And there was like this Italian elder man going around like screaming derogatory stuff around black people and Muslim people. And, you know, it's like, I'm just on vacation, but you can't escape it. You know, it really plagues every corner, every neighborhood of the world, which is I think why we continue to say, no, we're gonna have to fight for something different because I can leave the States, I can move to Mexico, I can leave Mexico, I can go, to, and there's nowhere that you are going to, you know, even in Africa, like, so it's, it's a really insensitive remark and sort of vantage point to think like, you have agency to not have to deal with this, so it's on you that you have to deal with it. Right, right, but it's loaded. It is. It is. You also brought up food, which is, I think food is, food has been coming up in my conversation so much with all mm -hmm. of my different type of folks. And I think during this really difficult time of like collective grief, mm -hmm. I've definitely returned to food in a much more intentional way. I've seen that, well, via the internet, but still I've yeah. vibed on it. Yeah. And you know, I know you can relate, but I'm curious, like your own exploration around this diaspora and the, sh the sharing and overlap of ancestral wisdom across communities. Like you've also started the pop-up shop or pop-up dinner, really not pop-up shop per se, but 
pop-up dinner, cenas sin fronteras. What, you know, why a dinner? Um, mm -hmm. and, and what has that sort of meant for you? Um, well, I think it, it's good that you say pop-up shop because I feel like we're all going to have to transition into something. I don't know when right. we can all sit down together and break bread, at least in person. Um, and that's kind of tragic in its own right. But um, I'm, I'm happy to see how virtually we, we've all been able to stay connected. Um, but Cenas Sin Fronteras was sort of this response to what has always been going on, but felt very, it, it felt very um, paralyzing to see families separated from their children at the border, to see and know of African migrants coming to Latin America to travel up north through um, the US-Mexico border. And it's, you can't, personally, I can't, I couldn't sit here any longer and just like see that happen and see the destruction of people and not, have some sort of reaction to it or action, right? And it's, I'm not changing the world, but I think it was a response to that and a way to celebrate um, and explore and sort of conceptualize like these these imaginary and very real borders that, that um, connect and separate us. And food is the obvious thing, I think oftentimes because it's like, it nourishes you it smells good. You can put it inside of your body. It brings you back to like different parts of the world and, and parts of like your family that cooked food for you. It's just, it's so emotive. Um, and it's so, it's not very political though it is political, right? When it comes to access and, and, and all of that, but it, it's not political in a sense where it's just like, it's just food and it, it links you so much to your ancestry in just one bite. Um, and through some of the research, you know, I don't, I don't have a lot of time for it, but research is a huge source of, of, of like this resilience. Um, and I kept witnessing and recognizing so many different dishes that felt and tasted and smelled so much like what my mother had prepared for me. You know, these West African Ghanaian dishes of fufu and soup and palm butter and cassava leaf and jello fries and like all of those ways that they intersect with different dishes in Mexico, even mole, you know, like even what's called like Mexican rice and um, esquites, there's just so many different parallels and that's global, but that just felt like a really potent way of bringing that together. And I did not do it alone. There were so many different volunteers and friends and folks, even you, I know you were like gonna be here during that time and like bought a ticket. Um, just to sit down and like eat together. And there was, we actually had like a rolling station with some weed sponsored by some close friends of mine who run Time of Meds. Like we could smoke herb, have like a CBD cocktail and really just like get to, get to see and be with your community in a way um, that sometimes you just can't through food and through that intersection of, um, of borders and, and what that means. And yeah, that's that's sort of how it started last fall. And it, it's been unfortunate that we haven't been able to have another dinner. Um, we were going to do one in in L.A. this past March. But because of my immigration status here in Mexico, I had to wait and I couldn't leave this, 
to the States and it was just blah, blah, blah. And the pandemic. And so again, like we're just trying to virtually connect. Um, and I'm really thankful for those folks who are still, still donating and just still doing their own work. You know, people like you who are just constantly working um, socially, right. And, and making sure that we don't just leave those people behind as we all suffer through this pandemic. Yeah. So real. Uh, I am also really dreaming and looking forward to one of those cenas because like, <laughs> oh, like it's funny because, like I I I mean one hundred percent to everything you offered like it's so healing and it always brings us together I mean like I think it's obvious to all of us that I mean at least for me one mm -hmm. of the things I'm missing deeply is like just going out to eat or just yes. dinners, like with homies and. Mm -hmm having yummy drinks but like just like fam you know the big thing is like i love going out to eat places that maybe are like you know a dish like 13 14 15 dollars which is like you know if i'm gonna go i'm gonna get you one need to do it yeah but once i go with 10 12 homies i'm gonna try the whole menu because it's family share style and i'm like True. you know it's it's beautiful so i'm like i miss that so much i just miss eating and just talking shit with friends like in some ways it feels really mundane but we know that it is so i don't know it just feels like home yes and, ah, i'm definitely missing one of those i think you did mention cbd which is something i'm a little curious and since we have you um it's it's clear that cbd is like in its hype moment uh -huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it's very clear and i'm very much so part of that you know i and yeah i mean i i love it i i have tried some cbds that are like um i don't really know the scientific explanation but they are just way stronger than what i take usually like <laughs> i don't think they're like put through water i'm not sure but mm -hmm. i'm like different and you know Anyways, I, I, I enjoy CBD, the different variations of it. Um, but I also recognize that CBD is like in a hype moment for the industry. Right. And I'm curious, like your sense of how the pros and cons generally, but also yeah. like how is it affecting like just good old THC? Yeah. Um, I think Jessima Stanley, the, the yogi, said she calls CBD like uh, weed light or like diet weed, I think, is, is, the tr is what she said exactly. And um, in many ways, I agree. It is like this diet weed and it is this, um, this, this product that is so it's it's such an aspect of white wellness that I think sometimes a lot of us just kind of roll our eyes at. But of course, like, duh, I'm starting a CBD company. <laughs> so, why not? Yeah, I, tried um, <laughs> I tried the sleep aid and it was phenomenal. Oh, yes, that's right. You got some, some of the prototypes. Um, yeah, I'm working with a Latina woman here in Mexico and we are you know slowly trying to launch this brand it's not easy the fda does not make it easy but yeah cbd is sort of this this wellness product right and this thing that that sort of helps i think it's a gateway cannabinoid into thc into the entire plant itself and to go back to what you were saying you know not all of them are created equally not all cbd is created equally and i think when you find other cannabinoids and terpenes naturally present, 
your body just interacts and it, it affects you differently. Um, mm -hmm. I know the sleep products that you tried also have, it has different herbs. Like I think because, you know, plant medicine in itself is just such a, it's such a beautiful thing that's cracking open for the like a hundredth time in civilization. <laughs> like, uh, duh. Um, but I think CBD is a part of that. And so we really tried to like implement, there's California poppy in that sleep aid. There's kava kava root. Um, I think there's, there's verb, lemon verbane in there. And there's just, you know, there's just so many different ways of approaching and looking at, again, plant medicine and CBD. But THC is that like bad gal, you know? It, it has maintained this like, oh, like you can go to weed for THC, but like for CBD, you know, it's all good. And that's a problem. Um, but I do think it is the gateway to other cannabinoids. And I think once people feel comfortable knowing that CBD is fully legal, federally legal, you know, the World Health Organization, if we listen to them, says that it is a relatively safe drug. And I think that really comforts a lot of folks, especially within the older population um, to be, to you know, to get themselves um, more acquainted with how that works with their bodies and not be scared to maybe try like their, their grandnieces or nephews, like little hit of a joint, you know, depending on how cool your family is. And I think it, there are so many important aspects of introducing CBD into our lives. Um, but there, again, there is that issue of like, it's the good girl, it's that white wellness, but then, THC and other psychedelic feeling cannabinoids are like the bad gals. Um, that is so real. <laughs> I'm like, wait, they treat me. That's, that's, that's how I see it. I'm like, it's, and you know, now looking back hearing you say that, I know that the reason I took that edible in Mexico, it was a year, it was Gemini season last year. We were there like early June. Yeah. Almost a year ago. And so wild, the really. only reason that I felt bold enough to take an edible knowing better is because I had just started taking CBD regularly. Maybe uh, that spring. I was taking it every day. I was and so I was like, I, I don't think I thought of it consciously because I really hadn't even come to that realization until you just offered that. But it had to be because I, yeah. I respect my boundaries. But I think you know I was strapped with CBD. You're like, <laughs> yeah. I know this. I'm good. <laughs> but I was like, okay, maybe I've gotten better. And it's it's it is interesting to think of it like that because I have, you know, I went from smoking bunch of weed in my teenage years to like mm -hmm. really slowing down, sort of eliminating it mm -hmm. from college because of anxiety, which actually wasn't even tied to that. But you know, you you're trying to figure out like how to how to right. get into a better mental Just state. Just full clarity in general. Exactly. And throughout the years, you know, I think my tolerance just went down and now it's like, it just feels like too much of an event. Mm. Um, I mean, for 420, uh, my partner smokes a lot. So for 420, I was like, oh, will you roll me a joint? He was like, what? Yeah. <laughs> I took like two hits and I was blown. I was like, okay, I'm so high. <laughs> I mean, know? next time that happens, take some CBD. I mean, you probably know, but it does help to sort of like, soften the the really intense edges of a THC high that's no I did not know and that's mm -hmm. really although I did last spring get some CBD THC infused gummies and those I liked because it was it was a familiar feeling I was just chill I wasn't mm -hmm. feeling like like whoa I'm kind of tripping <laughs> like 
Yeah, I wasn't going through all that. So, though, you know, so I, but in my mind, I was like, yeah, this looks CBT. But yeah, it is interesting to hear, like, now when you go by areas that are getting really gentrified in Miami, like, you just see the CBD. We sell CBD. Yeah. Um, CBD shops, CBD ice cream, CBD everything, right? And yeah. on one end, I'm like, I'm guilty because I'm like, I I like it. I enjoy it. I think I take CBD on me if I'm traveling. That's I take it good. It's there meeting. for you. You know, take it before like a stressful meeting or if I had a long day and I'm like kind of a little bit on edge and it works great for me. But mm -hmm. there is a sort of cultural undertone that comes with it always. Right. And yeah, and it's really interesting how like CBD is zero criminalized, even just like in the cultural mainstream realm mm -hmm. versus weed is so like, like you said, it's like, all right, you're trying to do all that. The bad gal. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so many things. How are you? So, so you are in the process of building out uh how do you say it? is it chula chula cbd yeah chula it's 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 x-u-l-a but you know obviously like chula like somebody who's cool and chill and cute um that's sort of the 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 naming behind it i love it and it was and really not sponsored truly it was great i remember i took <laughs> it i took it with me on like a solo work trip i had and it was like five or six days of like long ass workshops and some like I I just take so much I drink so much coffee throughout those days that oh. by the time I'm exhausted come like seven p.m. but my body's having a hard time shutting down, and I had your CBD the sleep aid and it just got me through. Good. Like, yes, it was. I was so grateful. I like don't even think I ever sent you a gratitude message, but I was very grateful. That's I okay. Still have, I still have the little droplet. I like keeping them for a moment. <laughs> Exactly. You can reuse them. No, it's it's all good. I would I mean I could talk more about it, but I don't want this to be a sponsored <laughs> a sponsored content interview. Uh, but no, I'm glad that, that I'm glad that it worked. I mean again, like plant medicine I think is so powerful and it's comforting to have that agency to be able to use it more and more and to have access to it more and more, especially um, communities of color. Yeah, especially communities of color. That's that's the part that needs such an underscore. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, for me having a white partner and seeing the familial dynamics and familial understanding around things like weed, mm -hmm. it's very lax. It doesn't have this connotation of criminalization. And it's, you know, it's more of like that Florida cracker hippie vibe. <laughs> <laughs> and that is just not, that's just not my familial reality. And there's like some trauma, you know, around that and, yeah. Even now that I'm like, I'm grown, I still kind of I'm like, I don't want them to see no weed around my house. Yeah. I'm and like that too. What? I mean, <laughs> yeah. I think even when somebody's coming over, like I, I tend to hide it or at least, you know, we're lucky enough to have beautifully made objects that are weed related that you can sort of like blend in. But but um, yeah, I think there's there's a level of like feeling like it's more respectable to not have that stuff out. Um, but I do send like CBD free swag. If people are sending me free CBD swag, it goes straight to my mom's house. <laughs> so, <laughs> so there is that uh, like that level of openness that I think I've finally been allowed um, just through it being legal. So that that feels good. And I'm sorry to anyone who is trying to get like free content from me. It's, it's my mom's taking it. So. 
<laughs> that's so real my mom on game but she's no. so scared she's like i don't want to no like she's ne- she says she's never smoked weed and i believe her mm-hmm. um and she you know i'm like no it's not weed <laughs> like trust me and she right. you know she won't budge yet but like i'm trying to put her on i'm like this is gonna this is good for you after a long day yeah. try if she's if she's going through menopause um, that was what hooked my mom. I was like, you know, it's really good for them hot flashes and like temperature regulation. Um, that was what won her over. But you know, wow. it's it you it's hard. You don't want to feel like you're pushing somebody into anything. It's a tricky yeah. one. Yeah, that's real. Ah, Manley, it's almost our Gemini season. I'm excited. Ooh. I'm excited. How are you feeling? You know, we're couple. We're like arriving, like second month of this. I don't know, kind of yep. what the timeline has felt and looked like in Mexico. But mm-hmm. what is sort of anchoring you in a sense of joy, in a sense of feeling grounded during these mm-hmm. times? That's a really good question. Um, it the first couple the first month and month and a half was really inspiring and exciting and like yeah i got this like meditation and you know i'll do a live event or whatever the fuck and now it's just like i was telling you i'm just exhausted and i'm just tired and i'm like i feel like i'm tired before like all my ancestors before me who were tired it's just yeah. uh, so much so much sleepy tiredness exhaustion um but you know i think Research has been a, a huge part of that, but so has um, like contemporary African music, like that and dance hall, which I think mm-hmm. are very similar. Um, there's just this like unexpected element of of like uplifting lyrics, but like really good like juicy beats and bass lines that like really make you like pop. You know, yeah. like you pop that booty, and it's just a release of endorphins, and that has been. That has really been like the most like physically joyful experiences. Um, those have been experiences that have like allowed and encouraged joy, I think, even for like quick moments. But, you know, like again, research, like I'm not affiliated with a university or an institution, um, but just constantly like going back to the research of foodways and the African diaspora and like the the botanical legacy within the African diaspora and how that connects cannabis and food and location. Um, It's just given me again, like a huge sense of purpose and um, a a place to just like think about how to move forward because this future is looking so strange and unknown. Um, And that's been, that's been a good anchor, I think. Yeah. That sounds beautiful. And it, I think to your point, something that I really try to remind myself is like, how do we validate and like endorse ourselves outside of these institutions? Like mm-hmm. outside of the approval of the university, of academia, of nonprofit, whatever it might be, you know, um, that recognizes that the work that we do outside of that or unaffiliated to such institutions is just as valuable. Right. Um, especially if it's more accessible to the people that right. need it the most, that, you know, resonate the most with such research. Like I'm cons I, I wrote that in like one of my intentions for like a few weeks ago. Mm. Cause 
you know, it's hard. And I think that's a Gemini. Like we're just very, we're like low key, very proud. Very proud and connectors. I think there's yeah. so much intention in that, like sharing of information and, and wanting it to be like valid and yeah. interesting and, and yeah. And a value to people. Right. Yes. No, I feel that 100%. I'm like, Oh, it is hard. People don't understand. Like, mm -mm. I think, you know, whenever I hear a friend or comrade, anybody like say that something I put out or posted or wrote really resonated with them and brought them a sense of clarity or, you know, resonated with them to any capacity, like mm -hmm. my heart literally just like beats faster. And I, I don't well, have the words to express that to people. <laughs> well, get ready for that feeling again, because you wrote, I mean, I'm constantly, I'm, you never cease to amaze me with your thoughts and your words. You're such a great thinker. And I'm not trying to like stroke the ego extra hard or gas you up, but it's just real. Um, and you know, this, you touched on this idea of self-care as community care. And that just really like sparks so much, like so much so that I'm almost like tearful and it's not because I'm about to start my cycle, but it's just like, <laughs> or maybe it is, but it's so, it's so real and it's so necessary and it's a critical thought to explore and like explode right now more than any time. Um, and that was really beautiful. And I really appreciate just those, like those little crumbs you leave for us. Um, it's, mm -hmm. it's huge. Oh, that means so much. I'm like, mm. so much. That means so much. And yes, all the gratitude, all the appreciation for you. I mean, it's I feel, yes i feel so i feel so grateful to be in community and in like relationship with people like you that it's just fuck like our people are out here across sector across just like industry across institutions like it's just phenomenal it's it it really i think when i see people like you when i see people that i'm in community with that aren't doing exactly what i'm doing but are bringing mm -hmm. that forethought are bringing that critical analysis to every corner of our lives i'm like shit i mean i guess we gotta be all right like there isn't right any other, there exactly. isn't any other outcome even against the odds like to know yeah. that there's so many of us out here just like doing you know, the work yeah doing the shit doing mm -hmm. the work mm -hmm. oh that sounds beautiful i i'm so excited to see you you know, I know Gemini season for us is always like a lamb. It's always a time. Ooh, I think Venus is retrograding in Gemini too, which is interesting. It is, it is, it is. I have some writing prompts that I have been delaying, but I'm going to get to tonight or tomorrow. But yes, and it's so much, you know, what's funny that I wasn't even thinking about that when we brought it up, but it's so much centered around worth and mm -hmm. what validates us and like what, what allows us to feel like we are worthy of, of, appreciation, admiration. And like, I feel like we just touched upon that, like totally unrelated. That's true. We did, we did. We hit that. <laughs> we hit that. <laughs> it feels good. No, I've, I've really enjoyed like this, this conversation again, like it's just so, you know, sitting in my little home office, like in the middle of fucking Mexico city during this pandemic to like speak to someone like you um, really just like nourishes me and just having this conversation is so nourishing um, and really important. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't always feel like it's that 
that sort of, again, that, that thing that holds you, um, but it's, mm. it's been good. It feels good. Oh, I'm so glad. That makes me so happy. Oh, I am such a fan. I love everything Same. you recommend, Leigh, for real. Like, wow. Thank fan you. For real. I'm so excited to see how this Gemini season treats us and how your sort of sense of care and all of that jazz is going to look like. I love the food. You know, I mean, me and we, not the closest of friends, but <laughs> you don't have to be. You could be acquaintances. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> we, we acquaintance. Now we're like neighbors that get along because there's right, there you go. all the time. <laughs> I'm like, I don't care, but I'm not going to be best friends with you. Right. Um, Manly, thank you so much for taking the time to just sort of share like all the different disciplines in which you in which you dabble in and like excel in. Um, I'm excited because I think, like I told you, weed, cannabis, even now CBD is something that people treat as so informal and candid and with little mm -hmm. thought. But there's such a chain of labor, there a knowledge and wisdom that goes into us as like quote unquote consumers just having it at home and you know just buying it from dealers right and the idea that there's not enough people like you in, you know getting the appreciation and getting the recognition mm -hmm. is troubling but it's also a reminder of why we must uplift each other because they ain't gonna do it for us <laughs> they really are and i'm appreciative of all the of being seen by others it's just it is, it's validating and important. Yes. yes, thank you so much for this conversation, Manley. You're also the host of a podcast with Broccoli Talk. Yeah. Really, uh, yes, yeah, so for anyone who enjoys <laughs> this little combo and wants to learn more about the, all the ins and outs, I mean, I don't even smoke and I love it. I'm like pretty much all caught up. <laughs> And y'all are hilarious. <laughs> I have all the stories. I'm like, I feel like I'm in my living room with just like y'all. And it is so it is so warm and sweet. And I learned so much. I, you know, I get so curious around like what hemp as like this sort of sacred plant that has been around mm. since the beginning of time, what mm -hmm. it means for us and how we should respect it and treat it. Thank you, Monday. Thank you, thank you. Thank you. It's been such an honor to be on this podcast. I've been looking forward to it. And um, yeah, I can't wait to see you in real life. <laughs> I know. I know. <laughs> I know. We're going to have a good time once this shit is over. I That's promise. True. Thank you, Monday. Thank you. Thank you. you.